first reading is from 1 chapter 8, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to all the men of Israel, everyone, go back to his own town. Let me pray for us before we look further at this passage together. Heavenly Father, as we continue on this wonderful journey through the Bible and pursue this overview series, please bless us with a deeper understanding and a deeper sense of wonder at your amazing salvation plan and how it all fits together so beautifully and is outworked throughout salvation history and beyond. Amen. Uh, the importance of good leadership cannot be overstated. If we look to the 20th century alone, uh, the destructive effects of bad leaders is all too evident. Uh, the Stalins, the Hitlers, the Pol Pots of this world. And against such a dark backdrop, the benefits of good leaders burns all the more brightly. Uh, Nelson Mandela comes to mind as a leader particularly gifted and suited to lead South Africa through a time of volatile transition. Uh, Nelson Mandela embodied the character traits required for the moment. Uh, vision, tenacity, and humility. Uh, he was famously quoted in his memoirs as saying, I am not a saint unless you think of a saint as a sinner who keeps on trying. What incredible humility. Uh, he also displayed incredible grace and willingness to forgive. Uh, when asked why he was so willing to forgive, he replied, hate clouds the mind. What a great leader he was. A good leader can make the difference between the making or breaking of a people group, a nation, or even a world order. 
And as we continue our Bible overview series, the issue of leadership of God's people undergoes some dramatic developments with the establishment of the monarchy. And as we will see, it has the potential to make or to break Israel. Now, by the time of 1 Samuel, uh, some 250 years has passed since the rebellion which we saw last week at Kadesh Barnea. The generation that refused to trust God died in the desert as decreed. And 40 years later, the next generation invaded the land under the leadership of Joshua. Uh, The book of Joshua records the conquest campaign Uh, Initially, things go well. Uh, God fights for Israel and does grant her military success. However, that doesn't continue. Uh, Sin soon creeps in and as a result brings God's anger on Israel. Consequently, much of Canaan is not actually occupied. And consequently, Israel has to accept the Canaanites now dwelling amongst them. Move on from the book of Joshua to the book of Judges. That then records what happens after Joshua's death. And predictably, uh, things go downhill. Uh, There's a leadership vacuum. Uh, Increasingly, uh, Israel becomes ensnared in the worship of Canaanite gods. And a cycle starts to become evident that is repeated in each subsequent generation. And we have it here on the screen. Uh, The people would sin. They would turn away from God. They would worship false gods. As a result, uh, God would bring his judgment on them. He would allow them to be defeated by their enemies and and to be under their rule. They would cry out to God, please help us. And he would then raise up a judge, that is a leader, to lead the people. And during the life of the judge, uh, the people would then enjoy a time of peace and victory over their enemies. But of course, the judge would not last forever. And with the judge judge dying, uh, the people would revert to their old ways. And the next generation would repeat the sins of their fathers, only worse. And so the the situation spiraled downwards. What becomes clear is that a good leader serves a vitally important purpose. A good leader leads the people towards fidelity to God, faithfulness to the covenant, and victory over their enemies. The book of Judges records 11 judges, and the 12th and most important judge is Samuel. His lasting legacy is to oversee the transition from the judges to the monarchy. And he is so significant that he gets two books in the Old Testament in his name, one and two, Samuel. Uh, Samuel's sons were corrupt judges, and it leads the people to request a new governance structure. 1 Samuel 8, verse 5. They said to him, to Samuel, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. They want a monarchy. However, it soon becomes clear that not all is well with Israel's request for a king. Verse 6. 
But when they said, give us a king to lead us, at this displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now, while Israel's request for a king is misguided, we need to understand that in principle, there is nothing wrong with the idea of Israel having a king. Uh, prior to 1 Samuel, uh, every mention of kingship in the Bible is positive. Uh, the earliest reference occurs in Genesis 17. Uh, there, Abraham, as part of the promises God makes to him, is promised that some of his descendants will be kings. Uh, Genesis 17, verse 6. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. Uh, two generations later, as Jacob is nearing death, he blesses his son Judah with a startling prophecy. Of the twelve tribes, it will be Judah who will produce the royal line. And it will be from this tribe that a king will come to whom all nations will pay tribute. Genesis 49, verse 10. It says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. Before the Israelites entered the land, God planned that they should be governed by a king. Uh, guidelines for a kingship were included in the statutes and the ordinances of the Mosaic Covenant. The king uh, would not be an authority separate from God, but would rule under God. Uh, the king for Israel would submit to God and to his law. Uh, look at this in Deuteronomy 17. Verses 14 onwards. God says this, and this is before they enter the land. When you enter the land, the Lord your God is giving you, and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us, have a, let us set a king over us, like all the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. At verse 18. When he takes the throne of his kingdom... He is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law, taken from that of the priests who are Levites. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and to follow carefully all the words of this law. So you see, it is clear that God intended Israel to have a kingship, but a kingship with a difference. Israel's kings were to be ruled and defined by the covenant. Israel's kings must fear the Lord and keep his law. 
And in that way, Israel's kings would be different to their despotic pagan counterparts. Uh, The book of Judges itself implies that Israel's problem during that period was due in part to the absence of a king. Uh, The book of Judges ends with an observation that occurs four times throughout the book. Judges 21 verse 25. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. So you see, uh, under God's design... The kings were to have a positive role in the life of his people. And when we look at scripture, we see that three roles in particular are evident. Firstly, the king was to lead the people along the path of covenant faithfulness. He was, as we saw, to revere the Lord and to follow carefully all the words of God's law. And then through his rule... He was to encourage the people to do likewise, to live in covenant faithfulness to God. So you see, everyone would not be free to do whatever was right in their own eyes, for now there would be a king. And as we look ahead to the books of one and two kings, a second facet of the king's role is seen. The king actually acts as the representative of the people before God. He becomes what's called the federal head. In other words, God treats the nation according to what the king deserves. When the king sins, God punishes the nation. And when the king repents, God rescues the nation. That was the second role of the king. And there was also a third role. Like the judges... The king was to lead the people into battle and to help them gain victory over their enemies. Uh, 1 Samuel 8 verse 20 again. Uh, It comes out in what the people say to Samuel, uh, but it nevertheless depicts the role of the king. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. So you see, under God's plan and in God's time, a king had a legitimate and vital role in the life of his people. So what was wrong with Israel's request? Uh, God's response makes clear that they do not want a king under God. They want a king instead of God. 1 Samuel 8 verse 7. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. This, of course, is nothing new. The rejection of God's kingship has been an ongoing malaise. And it's been evident in Israel not trusting God to fight her battles for her. Israel's request for a king not only is a rejection of God's kingship over them, but also his purposes for them. Israel, of course, has been called by God to be a holy people, distinct and different to other peoples. They were supposed to be a light to the nations, but instead, they want to be like all the other nations. 
So you see, Israel had asked for a good thing, but for sinful reasons. And God's response is to give Israel the king she is demanding. And in 1 Samuel chapters 9 and 10, which we didn't have read, Saul is selected as the first king of Israel. However, by chapter 15, which we're now going to read, things are starting to go badly wrong. One Samuel chapter fifteen, starting at verse one. Samuel said to Saul, "I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over His people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says: I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites." and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telman, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men from Judah. Saul went to attack the city of Amalek, and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, Go away, leave the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, to the east of Egypt. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the lambs, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honour and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, 
Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission, saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me, so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his rope and tore it. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbours, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honour me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul and Saul worshipped the Lord. So there we have it, uh, a sad demise. Uh, in 1 Samuel 15 we see the failure of Israel's first king. Uh, Saul did have some military success, however, uh, he was not wholehearted in his love of God and his obedience to God's word. Uh, Saul does much of what God requires, uh, but not all. Uh, Saul was instructed to completely destroy all of the defeated Amalekite people and all of their stuff. However, Saul allows the Amalekite king to live and his soldiers to keep some of the booty. And God's verdict is not long in coming. Incomplete obedience constitutes actually disobedience, 
1 Samuel 15, verse 11. I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. At first, Saul protests his innocence. However, eventually, Saul comes clean. And in so doing, we see the heart of his problem, namely, his heart. Verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people. And so I gave in to them. Saul, you see, is a weak leader with a divided heart. Uh, Saul is more concerned for what people think than for what God thinks. Saul is a people pleaser. And his overriding concern seems to be his reputation rather than God's honor. Verse 30. Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. It's worth pulling into a siding for a minute and just reflecting on this together when we think about how this applies to us today. It's a challenging insight into God's standards for obedience. Uh, do we not often have a tendency to think that we're not doing too badly, when in reality we might be failing dismally? Uh, how often do we more highly value the praise of people than the praise of God? And in what ways do we obey in part, but not in whole? You see, firstly, it reminds us of how much we need the cross. The more clearly we see God's standard, the more clearly we see how far short we fall of them. And it moves us to the point of more deeply valuing what Jesus has done for us through the cross. We cling to the cross more fervently and more gratefully. But secondly it can refire our zeal for a deeper level of obedience in our Christian walk. We can be moved to strive for a purity of obedience that will please God, not merely the sort of thing we, that ought to please God. So, uh, we can see that Israel has asked for a good thing, but for sinful reasons. And God's response is to give Israel the king she is demanding but not the king he has planned. So a few words in conclusion. If sins that at first look so minor are so serious in God's eyes, then it really does look impossible for Israel to inherit the blessings of the Mosaic Covenant. It raises the question as to which king will help Israel with the problem of sin. On paper, Saul looked like a good king, but he carried heart defects. Uh, he was not a man after God's own heart. He did not have an overriding passion for God's glory and for his honor and for his praise. Uh, Saul had a divided heart and a weak rule. And as a result, he allowed the people to descend into sin. And the first step in the process of finding the right king is taken with the removal of the wrong king. Uh, he has shown himself to be the very opposite of the covenant king outlined in Deuteronomy 17. Uh, he has rejected the word of the Lord 
And so now the Lord rejects him from the kingship. Verse 26. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. And the one better is the one with a heart that pursues God's heart. We didn't read this, but uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So, it now becomes clear that Israel simply having a king will not in itself solve the problem of sin. That the monarchy in principle is good. However, if it is to fulfill God's good purpose, it will require the right king. The king of God's choosing. A king after God's own heart. And thus the question as to how sin will be dealt with is now linked to another question. Who is the right king? And this quest will occupy the rest of the Old Testament. And a thousand years later, a king would come from the tribe of Judah. He would be the king of God's choosing. He would act as the federal representative of God's people. He would perfectly follow all the words of God's law. And he would fight a battle for God's people, which they could not win for themselves. And people from every nation would pledge their obedience to him. So next in our overview series, we will look at the king God chooses to succeed Saul. And the dramatic promise he makes to him of a king from his family line who will reign forever. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, as we reflected together on this theme of kingship, uh, we see the vital place it has in your unfolding salvation story. That a right king that rules your people and helps them to ultimately uh, leads them to obedience and to faithfulness to your covenants is the one who is the king we need. And we thank you that it points us to Jesus, the perfect king who won the battle we could not win against sin, Satan, and death. Amen.